I'm Bob Sullivan, the new host of AARP's The Perfect Scam Podcast. And with Frank Abagnale and other top fraud experts, we're bringing you brand new episodes of America's most shocking scam stories. I got an email alerting me to 22 accounts that had been opened up in my name. Scam was masterfully designed. New episodes available now. Subscribe to the Perfect Scam podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As things change, other things stay the same, like Ohio Lottery scratch-offs. From small tickets to big tickets, from bright colors to flashy themes, there's something for everyone. Big wins make big stories, but it's the millions of small wins every day that make life-changing memories. And your biggest win will come by following the state-recommended safety protocols during this special holiday season. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly. Okay, everyone, this is season one, episode 13. 13. Sorry about Mitzvah Mitzvah episode. I didn't even know what episode we were on. We had to... (laughs) We had to check on <laughs> on our account to see how many episodes we've uploaded. Like, Who I can't cares? even remember anymore. We're the only podcast that introduces <laughs> the episode and the season in the beginning. It's like the way Persian grandmothers call and they leave you the voices. Like, it's Sunday, 1.30 p.m. in the afternoon. <laughs> and they say who it is as if we don't have fucking caller ID. Same age. Like, hello, Natalie. It's your grandma. <laughs> like, my mom does it. She's like, hi, Natalie. It's Ima. I'm like, yeah, I know. So this week we have this one recording device. We don't have two separate microphones. So I'm not going to be able to interrupt when other people talk this week. So congrats to all the listeners. They don't have to deal with the interruptions constantly. Their their wishes were granted. Well, look at you. Yeah, my my friends, ever since my friends started like listening to it, like they love to give me commentary on like shitty things I do. They love to talk shit about you, you mean? But to my face, they're good friends. They talk, they talk shit to my face, not behind my back. Mm-hmm. It's like my mom. My mom will shit talk you to your face and be like, wow, you look really bad today. But behind your back, she'll be like, oh, my God, Natalie's friend is the most beautiful girl. Like, my mom's that person. Like, she tells you the truth to your face. But, like, behind your back, she, like, hypes you up yeah, to other she people. She's real. She's, she's a OG. Um... Well, I just want to say that um, we we have more, way more listeners than we do subscribers and ratings. <laughs> so screw all you guys. Like, even if you hate us, just fucking, like, you're listening anyway because you have to be listening in order to, like, hate it. So just give us a rating. Even if it's a low rating, just rate us. Give a comment. Like, uh, one of our comments is vapid trash. It's okay. If that's how you feel, just <laughs> leave a fucking comment. I want to hear all your opinions, whether they're good or bad. Okay, without further ado, we're going to be calling in a very funny lady from Israel. Khushkel Khanum, Abru Kamun, Cheshmasali, Susan Khanum. خوشگل خانم ابرو کمون چشم سالی سوسن خانم میخوام بیام در خونتون نمیخوام بیای حرف بزنم با باباتون های ایوریون ایم نوام ایم 32 ایرز اولد ایم ای واز بورن ان جروسلم and um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm I'm mixed. I'm Jewish mixed. Like I'm half Ashkenazi. My father is Romanian Jewish, 
and my mom was born in Iran, in Abadan. Oh. And, but the Persian genes took all over me. <laughs> so I'm very much a Persian in the way I look, uh, sound, and behave. Um, and it, because you girls know that Persian genes are very dominant, so they take they over really even are. half Persian. Oh, definitely. <laughs> no, but my, my dad has blue, like green, blue eyes, and he's kind of redhead and people think that i'm adopted when i'm with him it's really really <laughs> funny so um, my parents are really really cute they're total o- opposites um, and i was born in jerusalem and then when i was seven years old my parents moved to a community between jerusalem and tel aviv called in english the oasis of peace uh, it's in hebrew it's neve shalom in arabic salam. it's the only intentionally mixed Palestinian Jewish Arab Jewish village in Israel so basically I grew up learning Arabic in a bilingual school my best friends are both are you know Arab and Jewish and I grew up very very differently from like I would say mainstream Israelis because the rest of the Israeli society usually Arabs and Jews are not mixed like we don't go to the same schools they even mixed cities like Haifa and like Jerusalem there's a lot of separation between uh, Jews and Arabs and uh, Palestinians and Israelis uh, but I, I grew up in a place that it, it's like it's uh, it's mixed and I um, so my parents from a really young age like that's what they wanted they wanted me and my brother to grow up in this in this uh, very alternative and different way so we grew up very politically aware and uh, I grew up speaking uh, Arabic and I was very very active throughout my whole life in everything that has to do with like dialogue Arab uh, Arab Jewish uh, you know coexistence stuff and um, so I really grew up like in the heart of the of the peace camp uh, which is predominantly very very Ashkenazi Jewish very similar to America how like liberal circles and you know that would be affiliated more with like you know white and uh, sometimes like middle class secular uh, population mm-hmm. and I grew up a little bit frustrated because I'm a Jew with you know Persian like Middle Eastern roots and around me I grew up with all the Jews around me were you know Ashkenazi Jews that I didn't have a lot in common with so I had more in common with Palestinians with like Middle Eastern people uh, and on top of that I was speaking Arabic so I think in a very early stage in my life I discovered my Persian identity as a key to my also to my relationship with like with Middle Eastern or with my Arab neighbors you know and it uh, today I'm a, I'm a comedian. I was an activist for a long time. I w- was working in the a UN. I was in the UN. I was in charge of like a peace building mission here um, that was aiming to work with the right wing populations in peace building. Uh, and today, all of these topics and all of those experiences, I I, d- I do comedy with it because uh, that was the tool that was the most uh, available for me. And I deal with all these issues of, you know, my Persian family and growing up in this coexistence community and all of that. Uh, for example, I remember when my, uh, you know, my, when my parents moved to Neve Shalom uh, when I was seven years old. So the first uh, Shabbat, 
that we did in the in in the in the community my persian grandmother her name is malka in farsi her, her name is muluk muluk hanum and she is an amazing woman i learned everything from her and you know how persian grandmas are like straightforward they, they don't mess around <laughs> and my my persian grandmother she had a hard time understanding how my mom like moved to and inten- intentionally to live with arabs in the same village <laughs> so she you know she came for the first shabbat in our house in the new community and she comes in with all the pots of like gourmet uh, sabzi and everything everything and she puts it on the table quietly and she's like no i'm close the door close the door and i'm like why uh, malka what's wrong and she's like there's arabs outside close the door <laughs> oh my god <laughs> And so no, but it's like, it's funny because this is the reality that I grew up into, you know, all, all of these uh, co- contradictions and uh, crazy, crazy family stuff. I think, I think that's so amazing, though. I think all the contradictions made you more self-aware than anyone else. And also, I think it's so interesting that you said from an early age, you already felt stronger. You felt a stronger connection with your Persian heritage. Because for me, for example, even though I grew up in America... And I consider myself very much American in middle school i I always felt like I was much more Persian rather than Jewish I mean I felt Jewish, but i didn't I didn't have Ashkenazi friends, and they kind of never really accepted me either so it's like that's not there's it there isn't always that division but in in some schools like where I grew up, there was that division between the Persian yeah. Jews and the Ashkenazis, so even though you're saying you That's so interesting that you got along more with the Arabs, but like... Because, what, because they were Middle Eastern yeah. as opposed to Ashkenazi. Yeah. But where was that school? The, this was in Beverly Hills in Los Angeles, okay. California. I'm yeah. dying, by the way. This is like my blind spot. I'm dying to come to, to, you know, to LA, to the West Coast in general and perform in like in front of Jewish or uh, Persian Jewish or Persian in general audience if you need to come I, w- I would love to help you get started there you you would have such a big there's such a big Persian scene there and they're very open-minded so yeah, I think they would love I your would comedy love but I tell us about that. I was reading in the Haaretz article about you did a show um, in front of a Palestinian audience what was that yeah. like yeah so I mean, you know, to kind of set the background, just so you, you, it's very, the, the political situation that we are facing here is very difficult. You know, it doesn't happen that, you know, Israeli Jewish comedian gets to perform in front of Palestinians in East Jerusalem and the West Bank. You know, I'm not talking about Palestinians who have Israeli citizenship here inside Israel. This mix also rarely happens, but it's more available. This comedy festival is a Palestine um, a Palestinian comedy festival that happens every summer mm-hmm. where uh, uh, Palestinian comedians who are based in the United States they come to the West Bank and Jerusalem and they have shows uh, for Palestinian audience with Ar- Arab American comedians um, and it's crazy because these comedians that organize this festival like I used to be their fan <laughs> like I used to be the Jewish, the weird Jewish girl who actually goes to the West Bank because no one goes to the West Bank. And I would actually like sit in the audience like quietly and just adore everything that happens next to me. And one comedian mm-hmm. always asks in his set, are there any Jews in the audience? And I would be 
and I was was never sure if I should raise my hand or something. So I just, you know, I used to like just really dream of you know how I can from the audience I used to dream like how I can use comedy to 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 not sit in the audience and be quiet and last year when I really started performing and I think Palestinian audiences were kind of discovering my materials and the fact that I'm speaking also to Palestinian audiences in my kind of background uh, he um he, he wrote to me, the organizer of this festival, and invited me to perform with them. And I thought I was dreaming. Seriously, <laughs> it's like these things happen in my dreams. And then I, I actually get a message. And in the beginning, I was supposed to perform in the West Bank as well, in in Ramallah and, and, and Bethlehem. And I'm not sure if you're, you know, the people who are listening to us are aware, but we it doesn't it doesn't happen. Like, um you know, there is a lot of segregation and separation between us. The Palestinians are living in under very difficult conditions, and the, to normalize relations between between Israelis and Palestinians today, there is not no uh, conditions for it. Uh, so I happen to be this particular case of uh, I, I grew up with Palestinians, so I'm very aware of the other side, and I go there often, and I have Palestinian friends. But when Israelis hear that I do that, they're like, "What?" Are you crazy? Like, you know, what's wrong with you? And for me, it's the most natural thing because that's how I was raised. That's how I I grew up. So in the beginning, I was supposed to perform in the West Bank and in Jerusalem. And then because things were so sensitive, the comedians decided that I'm only going to perform with them in Jerusalem. Uh, That we still have some experience and uh, the Palestinian audience needs to know me more in order to accept this kind of situation, which is totally understandable. You know, we're in a stage of conflict. It's not a... So, um, what... But, sorry, I just wanted to, like, ask or clarify. When you said they were first sensitive, so that means you did a show first in the West Bank and then you weren't well-received and then they said, okay, just no, no, stick to... We we didn't... We did, I didn't go... I, I went as an audience to the okay, West Bank, okay, but it was okay. too soon... It was too soon for this to be for me to be on stage okay so the decision was that i perform in jerusalem the the jerusalem crowd was incredible 300 people it wow. was it was like a seriously it's, it was like a dream coming true Um the interaction with the audience was amazing they were so well receiving you know this is also another part of like my middle eastern identity you know when i get on stage the audience it's everyone like audiences are intelligent especially palestinian audience they're so smart so political so sophisticated you know they could see that there is like a persian middle eastern looking woman who also speaks arabic in front of them so that the the ability to create some kind of an interaction from this place of identity and of uh, jokes it was just something that as, a, as an activist who is exhausted from not being able to influence anything here, this uh, it, it gave me some power and hope back that through this tool I can create something and express something that otherwise we don't have spaces to, to do that, you know, mm-hmm. together. And the good news are that uh, now that... Uh, you know, this year was really crazy since since that festival and a lot of things happened. And so now I think the audiences uh, feel more comfortable with me 
because I'm working very, very hard. And so it was just confirmed that I will be uh, performing in the entire festival. Uh, also in the West Bank and uh, in Jerusalem again in August. So I'm very excited for that. And also in the end of August, I'll be coming to the United States for a few months to for a resi- residency at Harvard University. It sounds so fancy, but um, <laughs> the, plan is to, <laughs> yeah, the plan is to write and to perform all over the United States. And, Congratulations. Uh, yay. That's really... Yes, I'm so yeah, happy. That's so exciting and very impressive. And we're, so just, we're just so excited to have you on. It's very interesting <laughs> to hear everything you have to say because it's so unique. There, there really aren't a lot of people that have been in the same situations you have been. Um, yeah, I, th- I think also, I mean, I think a lot of people have interesting stories and individual examples. I think just uh, we need to give more confidence to people to share their personal stories, I think. But I've been really blessed with really going out there and trying to, you know, when when politicians, since a young age, politicians here have been failing me and not giving me any hope. So the thing, so one of the things that I can hold on to is the personal examples that I want to give to this place and to uh, transfer to the next generation as well. So this is my <laughs> this is my activism right now. Something I really I wrote down actually what you said. You've moved from an attempt to influence through organizations but to directly address the individual voice. And I think that's a really necessary approach because so much of it's it's very much about identity politics in the U.S. and I think in a lot of different parts of the world where people are more focused about their ethnicity and then if they're Democrat or Republican rather than just coming at things from yeah like what your own personal views are. So I think that's really important in, in uniting people. Yeah, and I have to admit though that I'm choosing this path not because I don't believe in influencing the system or in an organization and and the policy level uh, it's just uh, I've tried it for so many years and I was so I got so exhausted that I think I'm trying to gain credibility and experience and not being afraid to raise my own voice and not always represent an organization or something mm-hmm. and but the the intention is to influence in high places you know but the strategy and the way to get there is just slightly is is different now no but of course i mean you have to start from somewhere you yeah you have to influence the people who vote and for the people who make up the majority of the population and i think that starts from a place that is seen something as very simple as comedy but it's it's really not simple i think satire and comedy has the power to have much more influence than just a regular speech because laughter is is a, is a really universal thing that unites people more than anything else. So, I yeah, really respect what sure. you're doing. Yeah. Um, Thank you. I guess now we want to hear more about um, since you've already mentioned this whole idea that your Middle Eastern identity resonated with you more than your Jewish identity, and because of that, you were able to connect better with other people of Middle Eastern background as opposed to people of your own religion. So I guess we want to hear more about how being Persian has, how how you have incorporated that into your comedy and like certain things growing up like that you talk about in your comedy skits. I I, I just want to make, you know, kind of a a correction. I didn't mean that I am able to connect more 
uh, you know, with the Middle Eastern people rather than people in of my religion. It's not. It's it's not uh, precise. I'll, I'll I'll clarify this point. In Israel, where I was, you know, the narrative here, the narrative that has the power uh, and the hegemony, I would say, it's a very Eurocentric uh, narrative. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So, you know, the whole national story and, you know, the Holocaust, and it's part of my identity as well. My Romanian grandma from my father's side, she's a Holocaust survivor. So it's also part of my heritage. And the whole idea of how Israel was established and, you know, the Zionist foundations of the state, they're all rooted in, you know, the way that it's been taught to us. It's that it it all came from Europe. Everything is Eurocentric. So both like the establishment of the state as well as, you know, the catastrophe that led us to this place being the Holocaust. So that's like the, you know, the hegemonic or did you say that hegemonic narrative? I don't know the, the narrative that is in power. Mm-hmm. And in high schools, we just don't learn any other history. We don't learn anything else. And then my parents raised me specifically in a Jewish Arab place. So I get also to learn about the Arab Palestinian narrative. So what was left out of the, the two sides that I was learning about is my own, you know, Middle Eastern Jewish identity. I, I found myself knowing more about European Jewish identity and then Palestinian narrative than I knew about my Mizrahi uh, history. And, th- and this is the starting point of my realization regarding my identity, that it's, and regarding Mizrahi Middle Eastern Jewish identity in general, we represent uh, stories that are untold and mm-hmm, unspoken mm-hmm. about, and we, and, and, and we represent something that has the potential to reconnect us back to the Middle East in a healthier way. Amen, honestly. What? I said amen. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But unfortunately, if the same type of like uh, uh, nationalistic Israeli narratives will hijack the Middle Eastern Mizrahi identity and will tell it from a right-wing nationalistic perspective, we will lose this battle again. So my intention is, and the way that I was raised and how I discovered my Middle Eastern Jewish identity is not the fact that I was more in touch with like, you know, Middle Easterners, like non-Jews or Palestinians or Arabs. It's about uh, building a space where I can talk about this identity and, and, and establish it as a way for a Palestinians to know it because they don't know because they don't know it, it wasn't available to them just as it's not available to me as a Middle Eastern Jew. And B, to be, an, to be and to demonstrate an alternative to the, to the identity that was in, enforced, uh, you know, in us, because my mother had to be ashamed of speaking Farsi in public, and other Jews, Yemeni Jews, Iraqi Jews, Egyptian Jews, Mizrahi Jews, they had to be ashamed of their Arabic because it represented something uh, marginalized or um, it, it, it symbolized... Yeah, it was an outsider. Yeah. yeah. The, the ironic thing is that the Jews who are or, orient from Middle Eastern, North African, Arab, you know, Muslim countries, instead of feeling like they own something here, because this is the, this is their space to, 
continue their Middle Eastern yeah. heritage. No, I mean, it's the state to... for people who are stateless people, really. That's that's what Israel was founded on. Those were the principles, I think, at least. Yeah, but there, I think what she's trying to say, there's like a lot of racism oh, towards this is Middle odd, Eastern Jews yeah. in Israel. Meanwhile, Israel is in the Middle East. But like the right. Ashkenazi somehow made it so that like, People felt alienated for being Middle East of Middle Eastern heritage and uh, for speaking Arabic. Um, for all of those, yeah, coming from like Morocco, Tunisia, Iraq. Yeah. So, so that, so, so that's the you know that's my kind of that's my kind of way uh, um, of es- establishing this narrative and talking about these issues. Um, because it is so, it is so, it is so marginal. People don't, people don't have the vocabulary to talk about these issues in a healthier way, way or in a way that is tied to uh, building relationships also with Palestinians. Um, and I think that Middle Eastern Jews hold this power, this alternative to to build this bridge because <laughs> you know we. We're from here. We look like we're from here. It's uh, it, it can be a very, very big, uh, you know, twist in the in in the story if we take ownership of that and we don't also abuse the, you know, the privilege that we have to do, to tell these stories now. It's actually very funny um, because my my Farsi is very poor. Um, my Hebrew is much better than my Farsi, but when I do speak Hebrew, I tend to elongate my words in a way that makes me sound Persian. Apparently, the Persian <laughs> Israelis, they elongate their words in weird ways. So multiple times when I'm in Israel and I'm speaking to, like, a bus driver or just any person, like, in the shuk or something, they ask me, they're like, are you Persian? I'm like, yeah, how would you know? <laughs> they're like, because of your accent. And I'm like, I don't even speak Persian well. How do I have a Persian accent in Hebrew? And I notice they always ask me if I'm Persian in, like, in like a funny way like they want to like laugh at me a little bit for being persian like oh you're persian like it's like almost like <laughs> like i don't know they like to it's almost like putting down but like they don't really mean it in such a ba- in such a mean way but it's kind yeah, it just but, but, became like a stigma in hebrew i mean i speak i speak like, fluent so hebrew say, let's, let's do some hebrew. i don't understand <laughs> what you guys say some stuff to them. i i speak hebrew fluently um אז כאילו, אני יכולה להגיד, לא יודעת, אני יכולה לשאול את הנהג האוטובוס, אה, איפה הרחוב הזה? ולא יודעת, like, I elongate my words in weird ways. איפה הרחוב הזה? Like, yeah, I elongate, like, the way I say things, somehow, I came out with a Persian accent in Hebrew. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. Yeah, her Farsi is terrible. Well, to be fair, to be fair, my parents spoke to each other in Farsi when they didn't want me to understand what they're saying. They didn't teach me Farsi. I I only spoke Hebrew at home or English. Yeah, it's the same with my aunties. They never they never taught us the language. But so do you speak Farsi? Or? Yeah, okay. I I I understand quite a lot, and because of my Arabic, I can. Whatever temperatures this winter brings, your friendly and knowledgeable Bryant dealer is ready to help. We have the right training and support and are backed by outstanding products from one of the industry's most trusted names, Bryant. Whether you need a quick fix or an entirely new heating system, we will do whatever it takes for your family's comfort. Find your local dealer at Bryant.com. Bryant, whatever it takes. Pick up also on some words that are somehow related to Arabic. Yeah, yeah, some words are example, related. 
when my cousin, when I was much, much younger and my cousins were like in the beginning of their pregnancy and then my aunties would speak to each other and say like, Ufrati Hamela. And then I would already know that like Hamel in in Arabic, it's pregnant. And then my auntie would say Hamela and I was like, what? Ifrat is pregnant? Hamel is so funny. Yeah. I know but, how but to f- say one thing in Arabic. Um, and I just I just say that to that? my mom. There's this song my mom really loves. Ya Mustafa, Ya Mustafa, Anabahembak, Ya Mustafa. And then it goes to French like Sheri Jetema, Sheri Jetamor. Like it's, so, it's just like this really old song. So anytime I meet like any in New York. All the cab drivers, like, they can see I'm Middle Eastern, so they always like to, like, start speaking to me. They're like, oh, do you speak Arabic? I'm like, no, but I could say, and that's about it. <laughs> that's where my Arabic stops. So your stops. mom used to watch the Egyptian movies because uh, that song is from the Pro- Egyptian Probably movies. at some point, yeah. like, um, when during her childhood, she watched some Egyptian movie, but, like, she just really loved that song, and, like, she showed it to me when I was younger. <laughs> like, whenever I'm in the U.S. or somewhere else, and it's always, like... So it's an interesting position to be a Persian. Somehow it's like we're always stuck between so many, not stuck, but we're in the middle of like so many different cultures that people associate us with, but we have our own different. Funny you mentioned the cab driver because one time I was in a cab and I don't know if I particularly look that Jewish, but somehow it came up and the driver just told me to get out of the car um i guess he oh, he was i think he was like very i don't orthodox muslim i don't really not that that's what, how they all act i'm just saying that this was one instance where i did experience anti-semitism in the states so i don't know if maybe like do you think you would have or maybe you you have had experiences where people were uh, would do something like that towards you wherever you grew up or maybe because you don't look you you said in the article that you didn't look that Jewish. That maybe they just thought you were Middle East, like that you were Arabic as opposed to being Jewish. So do you think you would have had more anti-Semitic experiences if you looked less Persian or like? Well, um, I, I mean, if I would have had less anti. Or did you have any? Like, for example, like if with the way you said your grandmother was afraid to. Uh, to, like for anyone to find out you were having Shabbat like when you were growing up how was did people like would you talk about Shabbat with your Palestinian friends like what was that no, like of course of course no what I meant for, by uh, that example it's like it's it's just a joke referring to the fact that like my grandma you know she doesn't understand this like big ideological idea that my mom like <laughs> you know intentionally yeah. came to live like in this coexistence community not because no, we celebrate Shabbat together. My Arab friends, they come over for all the holidays. Like, we oh, totally, wow. like, grew up together. And, you well, know, we're just, as, it, we well, don't know. I we're guess, just like her grandma. In the I guess for her, for her, it's anyone who's living in that community, their parents put them there because they wanted them to grow up respecting others and understanding yeah, others. Like so any of her friends, mixed. yeah, so any of her friends from that community wouldn't have any anti-Semitic thoughts towards her. Their parents purposely put them in an area where they would get to know Jews and understand yeah. Jews and coexist. Also, oh, so Arabs I don't know how that community she, is like. Arabs I don't know if they're se- open. Uh, Arabs are Semites as well. So yeah, like, yeah. No, I know. They would experience, like, w- one time me and my Arab friend, we went abroad to speak in a, in a, it was in Holland, and we were both attacked by 
you know, like he was like a white racist, whatever. Uh, and he just saw two Middle Eastern looking girls speaking Arabic and Hebrew, like, and he just a- attacked us. And, and we both felt, you know, attacked from, so, so, you know, if, if, whether it's like, uh, uh, hate towards foreigners or anti-Semitism or specifically anti-Semitism that is uh, targeting Jews. Mm-hmm. I think that sometimes we have these shared experiences abroad because anti-Semitism also targets, I mean, today it's very much associated with being against Jews, but, uh, you know, there is also hate on Arabs and Muslims in, in the United States as well. Of course. Um, I, I think that my experience specifically would have been very different in Israel if I looked European Jew- if I looked European Jewish. You know, my I carry the last name of my father, which is Schuster, and it's very, very European Ashkenazi sounding. Mm-hmm. So that opened a lot of doors for me, like having this name, like Noam Schuster. It sounds very. European and Ashkenazi and, and right and then the experience of being in a body of a Persian woman th- that changes the experience you know it, it, it and I've had a lot of incidents where people would be really confused be like oh your name is uh, your name is Noam Schuster and like but who are you because you don't look like Noam Schuster you know it's like an Ashkenazi name and you don't look so so, so specifically, this is my experience, like that I carry a name, Noam, it's also a male name, it's a unisex name. Yeah, yeah. Noam Chomsky. I, I actually have the opposite problem that you have in regards to last names. It's really funny. Um, my last name, it's Sanandaji. Not only is it, um, it's not even Persian, it's Kurdish from Kurdistan. Mm-hmm. But also, it's a typically Muslim last name. There's only one Jewish family, Sanandaji, and that's my family. So any Jew with that last name, any Persian Jew with that last name is related to me. And any other Sanandaji that you look up, like on Instagram, Google, I've tried like researching it. They're all Muslim. <laughs> Research through Instagram. <laughs> and um, I remember one time um, coming to Israel at the airport when they looked at my passport um, the woman looking at my passport like whispered to the guy working next to her. She's like, oh, I think this girl is Muslim. And I start yelling at her in Hebrew. I'm like, my mom's last name is Yerushalmi after Yerushalayim. Like, I speak fluent Hebrew. Like, who are you to just judge me for my last name? And she she was shocked. She was like, oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> like, just go through. Like, uh, she she definitely regretted judging me for my last name. But it is funny because I, I wanted to ask you if you get this question a lot because in America, most people typically don't understand that like there are Persian Jews. So when I say I'm Persian-Israeli, they always just assume that one side is Muslim, one side's Jewish. And she's like, people ask like, wow, how do your parents get along? Like, how did they end up together? Where did they meet? You're, you're so ironic, like Jewish and Muslim and Persian and Israeli. The two countries hate each other. And I just have to explain to them, like, no, there's Persian Jews who, like, had to escape Iran and are ha- are okay with Israel. Like, they just don't understand right away. Have you ever dealt with that growing up? Like, I guess in Israel, maybe not as much. Yeah, not as much. Because, like, here when you say, like, uh, that I'm Persian, so people know that I mean, like, Jewish-Persian. But, uh, w- yeah, but when I communicate it to the outside world, I have to emphasize that it's, like, Persian-Jewish. Because otherwise they get really confused, like, oh, wait, how are you, like, 
Persian and Israeli and Jewish, like, yeah, you have to explain it. Especially, you know, in the United... Again, it's again it's the narrative thing, right? Yeah. The narrative that most people know about Judaism, and it's we, you know, it's it's very much like a European idea of of Judaism, and we have to change that slowly. Do you think if you looked more European, you would still be able to do this Palestinian comedy festival? I don't think so. I'm not sure, to be honest. I think it's one of my... It's one of those things that... that uh, A, I don't know for sure, but from my gut feeling, no. Mm-hmm. I think... No, I think it's 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 my strength that I'm... That it's, it's what makes me... It's the common ground. You know, yeah, I think it's what makes yeah, you relatable to so many different sides. The, the sure, Ashkenazi last, sure. name, last name, the being Jewish, but the looking Arab and looking Persian. Like, people feel like they can connect to you from so many different angles, which is so amazing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> A lot of contradictions. How old are you girls, can I ask? Oh, uh, we're both 23 going on 24. <laughs> oh, my God, babies. <laughs> and how long have you had Thank you podcast? so much for calling us babies. I feel no, so... No, sorry. I... I, I <laughs> I mean babies in a good no, way. No, I know. I'm thanking you because be I love being called a baby because I feel so old. Like, so, recently. <laughs> so I love it. I'm like, yes, when people think my idea is fake, when I go out, I'm like, oh, such a compliment. Like, I... <laughs> we started and, and the podcast. you're pod- both based in New York? Yes. Yeah. And you've had the podcast for how long? Um, we Since started in January. January. So we had the okay. idea for a few months before we actually started. Um, but it's been That's since nice. late January. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that we can attract people like you and bring people like you on this platform. Yeah, (laughs) can I just say I'm so happy you said yes to being on. Like, I I found you on Instagram. I'm like, oh, my God, this Noam girl is so cool. (laughs) I want her on right now. (laughs) Yeah, Um, no, I'm really, really happy. It's always nice for me to see these connections made and how, you know, how even though we could have just given into the whatever melting pot of America and Israel. We're still uh, we're still interested in our roots, and we're still investigating our roots, and we're still seeing how our roots actually connect us to something bigger. I think that's if something especially unique with Persians, though. Um, I think Persians, like even now, when Persians meet each other, they're like, "Oh, where in Iran were you from? Are you from Kashan or Isfahan or Tehran?" Like. Persians are very yeah. much obsessed, almost, with their mm-hmm. roots. Yeah. It's and, an obsession. And, you know, some people here, they laugh at me that I'm so obsessed with it and that I'm so connected to it. Because here, people are saying, you know, stop it, you're Israeli, we're all Israeli now, blah, blah, bullshit. Yeah, everybody wants to live in you the know? now in Israel. Everyone's focusing on where you are now. But, like, it's yeah. nice to and remember your for roots. Me, f- for me, like, this identity and the languages and the things that make me, uh, you know who I am and our grandmothers and, 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 and all our, the, the rich history that we have, it's what I hang on, you know, it's it's like, it's what I strive from, like, all in, in my comedy, in my life, in what I'm investigating, in what I'm exploring, even the connections that I make. You know, um, the actress Golshifte, Falhani, of course, you know her? Yes. So, I actually, if... Uh, we were introduced when she was filming a, a, a film here, 
and she met my family and she met my grandma and they were singing like Ole Sangam together mm-hmm. and it was the first time that my grandma was actually like with someone Persian you know that was I mean Golshifteh it's been a few years you know her story no. could you tell us maybe for the listeners who don't know so Golshifteh Farhani she's an amazing actress Iranian actress who um who is now forbidden from entering Iran for like 10 years now and seeing her family and working in Iran because you know she's pursuing an acting career and yeah. there was a whole story about her where she went to a gala or a ceremony event uncovered and that's it like the Iranian authorities uh, they um they forbid her yeah. from she had done a provocative Iran. photo shoot it wasn't provocative but for Iran standards I know wait, that they wait, said was she the one yeah. who was one of the top actresses in Iran she, and then they cancelled her show and yeah. kicked her out they yeah, like, yeah, literally chased like, her out the, with like pitchforks like the, she's like the most famous yeah, yeah. actress ir- yeah, I, Iranian I actress story. ever I heard her so story that was crazy we, so if I wasn't connected to my Persian roots, we were we wouldn't have never been introduced. And then she came here and met my grandma, and my my grandma is looking at her. And my grandma is so confused, and she's looking at her, and she's saying like, "Khonat kujas, where is your home?" And and the, and Golshifte is starting to cry, and she's like, "My home is in Iran." And it was such a weird like so she's forbidden from going back to Iran. My grandma hasn't been to Iran in like seventy something years, and. Everything is mixed, and then I went to Paris, and I met her again, and I met her with a friend of hers, who is a singer, who is also forbidden from singing alone in Iran. So she's in Paris pursuing a singing career, and it's like all of those mixes, and the world, like when we are not afraid of reaching out to our roots and talking about it and investigating it, and then, because the world doesn't end in America or in Israel, like there is a, a whole world out there that we are that we can be connected to, that we can inspire from, be inspired from, you know? And for me, this is the most important thing. And and I hope that my uh, comedy and my materials will get me to more people like this. I, I just want to say how beautiful I actually think it is that Persians are so connected to their roots. You know, a lot of people make fun of Persians. Like, oh, you guys, like, you still, like, have accents and you still, like, make all the Persian food. But, like... I think it's so beautiful because I I hardly know any um, Moroccan or Tunisian or Iraqi Jews that taught their kids Arabic. None of their kids speak Arabic. A lot of them speak Hebrew, which is them connecting to something new and something now, but they forgot about their roots. None of them teach their kids Arabic, but we are still all teaching our kids Persian, which I think is so amazing and so great because every language is a new world and allows you to really connect to your roots and to really understand your roots better. Um, but Arabic is being so lost in the Jewish community. It's like they wanted to just forget it. But I think I think you have to remember where you came from. I think yeah. that's important. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't know if I want to generalize, but I think a lot of you also could say the same thing about Jews in regards to their Judaism in general. I mean, yeah. a lot of European Jews after World War II, even some that went back to Germany, they almost totally totally abandoned their judaism they wanted nothing to do with it they really saw it as a 
just like a very negative quality. I mean, Hannah Arendt and other German Jewish intellectuals, they, they didn't want, they really felt plagued by their Jewish identity. So I don't, I don't, I do think that a lot of them try to abandon their, but I don't know if it's anything against being Arabic. I think a lot of Jews also don't want to be, I think they see Israel as like something actually separate from Judaism. It's like, no, that's Israeli, that I, not Jewish. I think that from Mizrahi Jews, and I'm generalizing here for Sephardic, like, you know, the communities that we're coming from in Middle Eastern, there was a traditional w way of life, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I think, I mean, of course, um, you know, there are some dark pages in history where Jews didn't have uh, always a perfect time as part of the Muslim and Arab world, especially after 1948. But in general, Jews were okay and even more than okay in Arab and Muslim in North African and, you know, um, countries. So I think that this sense of traditional way of life and a Jewish, you know, v vibrant life and community life, um, it, it was, it was, it, it was very, very common, uh, you know, because, uh, because it was, it, there wasn't that trauma in a sense, like what happened in Europe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, a lot of so um, a lot of Jews like from Morocco. They talk about how much they thrived there. Um, like the Israeli uh, comedian that started the TV show The Eighties. Um, I'm blanking on his name right now. Do you oh, know how yeah. Shnata Shmonim? What What's his name? Um, yeah, Shalom Asayag. So, he, like in the TV show, um, he's playing his own father, and he depict he like always t like mentions how his father would be like, oh, in Morocco, like we had the nicest movie theaters and the most beautiful parties and the nicest houses. Like a lot of Jews thrived in these Arab countries; they were happy there and they lived in peace there, and there was a lot of unity there. Um, only recently did like things start going bad. Yeah. Um. I guess we want you to talk about maybe a little bit how you, um, maybe some of your skits, like some things that you mentioned about being Persian in your comedy. Yeah, tell us something funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Make us I, I, feel like I feel like it's like how people hear like, oh, you're a clown? Oh, dude, do show something funny. Make a, show us a trick. <laughs> like, we're asking you to like, entertain. I'm sorry. I, I'm sure you get well, that a lot. No, it's no, annoying. It's, it's cool. It's cool because uh, I actually... You know, having a funny Persian family, I don't have to write my stand-up. My stand-up just writes itself. Oh, I love that. I, of, sometimes I feel like we should be comedians. Of, <laughs> I actually have done stand-up before, and I didn't really write anything. A lot of people have asked me to do. Yeah. We'll see. You should. It's so... Uh, yeah, it's, I think it's I think so a lot of people listening can relate to you that, like, being in a Persian fam family, like, the comedy just writes itself. Yeah, no, it's hilarious. So, it's like yeah, tell us. Uh, a friend of mine just texted me that she saw one of my cousins on OK Cupid. Oh my god! And she's and she's like, oh, what do you think? Do you think I should go on a date with him? Da da da. And I have so many cousins that literally, when I open my Tinder, <laughs> I, I I once swipe two cousins in a row. Oh no! Like one. And the funny thing is that the first cousin I swiped left because he's really like not good looking and not successful. But the other cousin that I saw afterwards, he's like really cute and he's an architect and he's like really tall and like really cute. So I was like, I know it's my cousin, but he's so hot. Like I would 
I would swipe him right if he wasn't my cousin. Can, can I admit to something that I've never told any of my friends really because I was so embarrassed and um any of my friends a lot of my friends listen to the podcast so they're going to hear this for the first time. I once I I almost never date Persian guys because I feel like a lot of the Persians in New York are too old fashioned for me. Um but sometimes like maybe two three times I gave a Persian guy a chance. That was about it. And one Persian guy I went on a date with. After the date, I found out we're related. Oh, shit. <laughs> I, so I That's technically crazy. went on a date with a cousin, and I was like, "Oh, okay, never seeing this boy again." Like, <laughs> oh my god! That's, that's crazy. So all, all my friends are gonna laugh at me after hearing this. They're gonna be like, "Oh, <laughs> like crazy. typical, like go marry your uncle, Persian girl." Like people always laugh. It actually, never happens to me. Uh, yeah, but tell us more about how your family writes your stand up oh, for yeah. you. <laughs> So, the, so this, so the second cousin who is cute, like I, so I swiped him right because he was cute, and he swiped me right also, so I matched with my cousin on Tinder, which is disgusting. It's really disgusting. And so I start texting him on Tinder, and I was like, Jonathan, you're disgusting. Like, why are you, you know, like I'm your cousin. Why are you swiping me right on Tinder? He's like, you did the same thing. That's why we're here talking. And then I told him, yeah, it's, but it's disgusting. And then he's like, so you want to move to WhatsApp? It will be easier to talk oh, there. I love when Israelis say that. Every Israeli I've ever matched with on a dating app. Uh, so can we take this to WhatsApp? I'm like, what yeah, is the I obsession with WhatsApp, WhatsApp in Israel? I never understood it. But now <laughs> I'm suddenly obsessed with WhatsApp because I'm talking to so many boys on WhatsApp. <laughs> what, WhatsApp is like a new dating profile for me. Like I have to make sure my picture is cute on my, on my WhatsApp profile. Like it's a new dating app. <laughs> And then my grandma, she looked at this thing, like I explained to her what happened. She's like, I don't understand what's the big deal. If we were in Iran, you would have married your cousin a long time ago. <laughs> so my, my grandma kept trying to set me up with my cousin in Israel. She's yeah. like, what? He's so nice. I'm like, he's my cousin. She's like, yeah, so my uncle married one of his nieces. I'm like, and that's not okay. <laughs> where, is, where is your family here in Israel? Um, my mom... Um, was born and raised in Netanya. Well, originally they lived in Dora, which is a small town next to Netanya. Um, but now I still have two uncles, one in Netanya. Uh, one lives in Chavetzet Sharon, which is a moshav right outside uh-huh. of Netanya. Um, from my dad's side, it's funny. My dad is so Persian and he's never been to Israel in his life. But he also has so much family in Israel. Um, a lot of them live in Hulon, typical Persians in Hulon. Uh, yeah. um, yeah. Some the of them live in Ranana. I Ashkelon, Yerushalayim. I have family in Haifa. Um, um, literally everywhere in Israel, I have family. Yeah. It's great. I never, well, I've never stayed. Oh, in I have town. family in Jerusalem too. I just remember. Next time you come here, please let me know. Oh, come I, I come to, to Israel almost every year. I was supposed to come this summer, but I just started a new job, so I had to cancel that. But my okay. cousin from Hulon just got engaged, so I'll be in Israel soon oh. for the wedding. <laughs> nice so let me know when you come and uh, hopefully also i mean i'll be coming to new york also to perform yes. we, we have yeah. to come see you perform yeah. and please plug yourself like please say your full name yeah, how your can instagram everyone... how can everyone follow you watch your skits come see you in new york like plug yourself right now <laughs> go for yeah, it yeah yeah um wow uh so <laughs> on instagram on Insta, wow, I'm so bad at this. I'm really bad. <laughs> it's okay. On take Facebook, your time. it's Noam Schuster Eliasi. On Instagram, it's Noam underscore June. And then maybe there is like a Twitter thing and a YouTube. I don't know. You guys, will... I'm, I'm sure they can go from your Instagram and then find all your other. Exactly. 
exactly. I have to go get ready for a show that I have tonight. Oh wow! Okay. Okay. okay so exciting. Well. But it was so so nice to to speak to you. Thank and you to so get much for coming podcast. on. Yeah. Um, yeah. We will so definitely sure. be in touch so we can see your show when you come to New York. Very excited. <laughs> Nice. Right. And it was so nice meeting you. Break a leg. Thank you, Noam Jun. Bat lacha. Everything. Stay in touch. We of will. course, we will. We will. Yalla, <laughs> right. bye. Bye. Okay, guys, that was Noam Schuster. She is awesome. I'm obsessed with her. I yeah. feel like I say that after every guest. I know. I mean, we just have amazing guests. Yeah. We're so fortunate, as you can see, being Persian it almost turns you into an automatic comedian because your family is just so ridiculous. Like, I know. I feel like we're exploring so many things on this podcast. We're like talking about really serious things, but then we're also trying to do comedy. Not try. It just comes yeah, out naturally. It's because like being funny, Persian sad. is just funny. Being Persian is funny. That like period is just funny. Yeah. Um, I think that's why like I like there's so many great Persian comedians out there because like their families just write their skits for them. It's just so mm-hmm. easy. It's like boom. Um, your grandma comes to visit and suddenly you have like a two hour new skit to perform. Basically. Um, yeah, well, I think that was it for this week. Also soon we will be bringing back the Persian girl podcast, just the two of us type of episodes where we'll be talking about, um, just ranting about random shit like we used to. Um, (laughs) It's mostly just me ranting and Millie laughing in the background at how ridiculous She's a raging I am. narcissist. I'll just interview you. How about that? Wait, <laughs> can we actually do that? I would love that. We can. Inter- you can interview me one episode, and I'll interview you one episode. Oh my god, amazing! Because I already wrote down so many notes of things I want to talk about. Okay. So I, I have a lot of have- content. Um, don't forget to subscribe, follow, comment, whatever. Um, and anything you guys want us to talk about, please, please message us. Like yeah, we, uh, we got a lot of comments about mental health. We'll definitely be doing an episode about mental health in the near future. Yeah, and don't be, don't feel on. shy. Like we don't. A lot of people stay anonymous when they message us. You don't need like we're never going to use your name or talk about it to our friends or yeah. anything. So please, please, like really reach out to us if there's anything you want to talk about. I guess that's it for this Have week. Have a good week. Shabichir, Sobichir, whatever time you're listening Legacy CRM platforms have made you compromise for far too long. With HubSpot CRM platform, you don't have to choose between enterprise tools that are powerful or easy to use. It gives you both, so your marketing, sales, and service teams can align with ease, accelerate sales, and anticipate every customer need. Finally, there's a CRM platform that helps you run better so you can grow better without complexity ever getting in the way. Learn more at HubSpot.com. Home is where you should feel the safest, but the air there can be more dangerous, up to five times more polluted than outside air. Let us help you take the steps towards making it a healthier home with our Bryant Indoor Air Quality Solutions. We can help with everything from whole home air purifiers to indoor humidity control. To schedule an evaluation of your home's air, visit bryant.com to find a local dealer. Bryant, whatever it takes.